Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Chasing Heroin podcast on this day. Thank you guys so much for being here. So after every episode, Kim and I always say, okay, that was our favorite episode. That was our favorite one. And once again, after this episode, we decided this was our new favorite. Today we have on Jenny Schatzel. She's a personal trainer and fitness studio owner up in Santa Barbara, massive thriving studio by the beach, incredibly successful just wrote a book called Breaking the Cycle, Breaking the Cycle that I read over the weekend which is fabulous and fantastic and I love a book that has actionable tools that you can take away so it's not just theory it's also like okay this is the theory and then you do this and it's full of that it's packed full of information and actionable tips and tricks to help you on a deeper wellness journey. And she's also an alcoholic in recovery. So we talked to her about her recovery. And what I love about this episode is it actually really then moves into the diet cycle and the cycle of feeling like not good enough and what the story is there. And so many people, when they get into early recovery, all that stuff starts coming up again, gain a little weight, things are maybe different and all your old stuff starts coming up. So I love that we talk about that. She also talks about sharing that with the people around you, like passing that on to your children or even your nieces and nephews. It's really cool. I think you guys are going to love this one. Definitely let me know, give me some feedback. And also I decided to leave in, you'll hear a little musical interlude. We were actually talking off air and I shared with her that as the owner of a fitness studio, I find myself often feeling like when people walk in, I think they're going to look at me and think, wait, how are you the owner? Like you're the least fit person that teaches here. You don't look like a fitness person. Like I just get really insecure about it. And I was going to cut that out and I decided to leave it in because I think her answer is really powerful and it impacted me. So it may impact you. So when you hear the conversation, just kind of pick up out of nowhere, it's because we were speaking off air and then began the recording to finish the conversation, but I've decided to leave it in. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and please reach out to us with any questions or any comments. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. My name is Janine, and my sobriety date is January 15th, 2015, and I'm going to let Kim introduce herself. Hi, everybody. I'm Kimberly Walker, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm on the podcast to ask Janine and our guests questions that listeners may have and have people maybe explore some of their own patterns and change perspectives on addiction. And today we are so, so, so excited. Our guest today is a woman named Jenny Schatzel. She's written a book, Breaking the Cycle. I just read it over the weekend. It's amazing. She also owns a studio. So she's an alcoholic who's a fitness instructor. So obviously speaks to me. She has an amazing studio up in Santa Barbara, which I'll let her talk about. And I'm going to let Kim actually introduce her and we'll get started. Yeah, we're so excited to have Jenny this week. I met Jenny, Guy Jenny, it's been what? maybe 15, 15 plus years ago, and I've just kept in touch yeah. with her over the years. Always make it a point to do a workout at her gym when I'm in Santa Barbara. Um, Jenny started the Jenny Schatzel program in 2012 with a mission to build a community that strives to be the best version of themselves and truly love who they are in all areas of their lives. 
Jenny's a mother of twins, a business owner, a motivational speaker, a fitness trainer, a published author. I could go on and on. So Jenny has graciously agreed to come and share a story of addiction, recovery, and hope. So thanks, Jenny, for being here, and I'm going to let you kind of take it away. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to be here. And uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it. Thank you for the intro. That was amazing. Um, I'd say let's just get to it. Okay, let's awesome. Give people, let's give the people what they want. Okay, great. Awesome. So as as you guys know, the premise of the podcast is we talk about where we were on this day relatively in history versus where we are now. So Jenny actually has, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm super excited that she's sharing this moment in particular is, as you guys know, we've had guests on whose stories that they've shared weren't actually their last using. And I think that that's important because recovery isn't linear. And my story is filled with attempts at sobriety that didn't work out. But Jenny's story today actually was her last rock bottom. And her sobriety date is in October of 2012. And so that's actually what she's going to share today. So whenever you're ready. Uh, yeah, so I have a, just to give you a little quick history is I have a history of my father's an alcoholic. Um, I have a history of drinking and it's funny. I try to think about the, the point where it turned from me being like this party girl to like the full blown alcoholic, you know, drinking shots of vodka at 8am before I go to work or calling in sick to work. And I've always been a party girl. I've always been, you know, the loud and drank too much. I mean, even in high school and I always had this deep feeling that this was an issue and I mean through this whole thing we'll talk about it all but just my talking about 10 11 12 was the day I got sober so if we jump right to October 12 um, or 10 11 12 um, I was actually I was in a fitness seminar I was doing like a fitness business seminar and I have a business partner and I remember it's the first time I'd ever gone to this and I I called him a couple days prior and I said hey Todd Durkin is actually a trainer in San Diego. I don't know if you guys know of him, but um, Todd Durkin, he owns Fitness Quest 10. Anyway, he's a, he's a big trainer and a, I very much look up to him. And he was doing like a fitness business retreat, a three-day retreat. And I called my business partner and said, hey, I really want to go to this. It was like $1,500. I We didn't really have the money. and But he was like, you know what? Yes. And let's go ahead, go do it. And so um, I just remember sitting there and – Todd was leading this retreat and he, it was like the second day and he stood up there and he was talking about how in particular fitness instructors or group fitness instructors or coaches, a lot of times are leading double lives and that they will sit there and tell everybody how they should eat and what they should do to live a healthy lifestyle and how they should move and workouts and all this. And then when on the side, they're like binge drinking and binge eating and total hypocrites. Yeah. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, my God, he's talking about me. Mm-hmm. And he literally said this quote that changed my life. And I always thought, like, oh, your aha moment is a bunch of BS and, like, whatever. And I remember sitting there and he said, in order to be a leader, you must be the example. Wow. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And I, 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 ha- I still have the notebook. And I wrote, in order to be a leader – you must be, in order to be a leader, you must be the example. 10, 11, 12, I will never drink again. And I, and I haven't. That's amazing. That's, that's because there were so many times. Now, let me ask you this. Had you in the past made resolutions to not drink? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Like, 
I write in my book, this was the big, I tell everyone trying to get sober, the biggest thing that kept me drinking was the thought of never drinking again. Right. So anytime I would think about like, I mean, I always did this. I would go like, I mean, I feel like anybody with addiction goes through this. It's like, you don't drink for a month or, you know, a couple weeks or a month or a couple months. And then you would think, oh, I just went a month without drinking. I don't have a problem. I've got this. Mm -hmm. And then every time you go back, it gradually gets worse. I was actually wondering that because you said your business partner asked you to stop drinking for six months and you did it. And I thought, I wonder how many times she looked back and said, oh, I stopped for six months. I obviously don't have a problem. Like, because I've got, I have friends that are women that have had children and they feel like they have a drinking problem now, but they always say the same thing to me, which is I didn't drink for nine months when I was pregnant. I didn't drink for nine months when I was pregnant. And they like point to these couple of times in their lives when they were successful as a way to like, as an escape route. Did you do that with that six months that you took off? Yeah, that's actually what I want to talk about on here. And is the pregnancy is a great example. Whenever you quit for someone else, it never lasts. Yeah. So we never think about that. Like when you're pregnant, you're still quitting for somebody else. You're quitting right. for your unborn child. Right. And so when I was 30, it was, I'll never forget this because it was the six months. Um, when I turned 30 on, uh, in December, December 29th is my birthday. My business partner and I were talking about fully going into business together, like 50, 50. Mm -hmm. And he had seen my drinking and it started to raise raise some red flags with him at first it was like fun and funny and then right. it was kind of like this always just gets taken to the extreme and so he said you know if we're going to go into business together i need to know this isn't a problem so i need you to not drink for six months mm -hmm. and my business partner is a little older than i am and he i just really respected him and he's a brilliant businessman and so I, we drew up a contract I agreed to it. I remember everybody in my life even thinking like, there's no way you're going to go six months without drinking. And this was still, I was like the fun party girl. Mm -hmm. I really, I mean, my core, I knew it was a problem, but you know, I, I was so much in denial. And then every, you know, everybody loved me. I was, I was the girl you go out with and is buying everybody drinks and brings everybody together and is super fun and loud. And, um, I'm the life of the party. And so nobody thought it was a problem. And so I quit for six months and during that six months, I'll be honest, our business took off Yeah, because of I honestly didn't know what to do. Like I didn't want to go out with my friends. I actually didn't even want to be around my friends. And so all I did was work and I became obsessed with work, food, working out and my body. Yeah. Like all I did was work out, restrict my food and just focus on work. And to be honest, our business took off and at the end of the six months, I mean, you sign a contract that you can't drink for six months for somebody else. Literally the next day I drank. Yeah. I was like, oh, I did it. I don't have a problem. And for me, that was a huge turning point. I actually didn't get sober until three years after that. Wow. And so I didn't get sober until I was 33. But that was a turning point that actually I really feel like when the full-blown alcoholism kicked in because I quit for somebody else and I had become super successful. Right. And Physically, the way I looked, I was in the best shape of my life because mm -hmm. I was so lean. I was so ripped. I was so unhappy yeah. because I had no idea who I was because I had done this for somebody else. And so then when I was able to like drink again, then I really didn't know who I was because mm -hmm. I was like, where do I belong? And I didn't even know how to fit into society because yeah. except for to drink. And so mm -hmm. 
Um, that's really the next three years when my life really spiraled. I mean, I kept, we kept growing the business and I kept my career going, but not only was I like the fun party girl, I, I call it the alcohol, the alcohol blues. Like everybody loved yeah. me when we were out, but nobody saw the aftermath yeah. and my hangers would be so bad yeah. and I would have so much anxiety that I just started drinking again in the morning. Oh my gosh. Jenny, when, when your business partner said, you know, I'm going to need you to sign this contract, even though there was kind of this feeling deep down, like, I kind of know I have a problem. Was there annoyance of like, dude, I'm okay. I don't need to sign a contract. Or were you like, all right, I'll do it. You know, I think I, and I still do. I, I respect my business partner so much. And here's a, like another little sign up. I'm a really good, can I swear? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't swearing with you yet because I didn't know where you were with that. But usually I would have dropped like three or four F-bombs by now. I was okay, just waiting I'm like the F-bomb queen and I'm actually working okay. on it. But, uh, so I kind of am too uh, and you're like a mom, you have kids. And like, I just yes, kind of, yeah, I didn't exactly. know what to I'm do. Exactly, I'm a mom and like people will, they, people exactly. know me well, will, will email me first and be like, just so you know, you got to watch your language. Right. Uh, yeah, no, okay, let cool. it rip. Let it rip. Uh, so I'm a really good bullshitter. Mm -hmm. And one of, one of my, uh, you know, I'm very charismatic. I'm very, it's how I always like, you know, I was always canceling on clients. I was always calling in sick. I was because I was hungover and just yeah. like couldn't face people or life. And so, but I could always, I mean, I'd say I'd get in car accidents. I mean, I was constantly lying about yeah. what was going on. And so, um, but I was always able to come up with these stories and yeah. get people back on my side, even people feeling sorry for me. And so, you know, Steven was the first person, honestly, to like call me on my bullshit. Yeah. And so it, it actually felt really good to have somebody that I felt like believed in me to the point where he was like showing me this tough love. Yeah. And so I really deep down wanted to prove to him that like, I am, I'm a value to this partnership and that he's making the right choice. And that, so I did put a lot into like, he believes in me and I want to be able to prove this. So, because it was truly the first time in my life, I feel like somebody had called me on my shit and was like, no, you're going to either do this or I'm going to walk away. Because yeah. nobody ever walked away from me. Mm -hmm. And then you felt the, uh, he will follow through on the walking away if it comes Oh, yeah. I mean, he's actually, we've, we've, yes, he, I mean, he, he's left before and, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I just, the type of man he is, yeah. And so, you know, but it was, I mean, even now we, when we moved, I was finding, like, even my friends made me a certificate. Like, it was a really big deal for me not, not to drink because mm -hmm. I was the party girl. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, it was this big thing, but again, and it was one of my greatest life lessons because if you quit for someone else, it will not last. Yeah. And I know that a hundred percent to be true. Mm -hmm. Was it, you know, how you mentioned, I, I kind of stopped going out. It, it didn't sound fun to me. Did you ever try to go out and it was like proven to you? Like, yeah, this, this isn't a comfortable space for me unless I'm drinking or what was that like? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Especially too, when you're like, it wasn't my choice from my heart. Like I have a problem. I want better for myself. Mm -hmm. It was somebody wanted better for me, which again, made me feel good, but it still wasn't my choice. So I still wanted to be drinking. Yeah. And so I, yeah. So when I went out and it was all I knew, I remember going to a very specific, um, my friend, it was her birthday. So we live in Santa Barbara and it was in San Diego and she had rented a house in San Diego and this was during that six months that I quit drinking for Steven. Um, and so all our friends went down and I was like, 
and I didn't drive. I went with my friends and I just remember feeling like, oh, this is, this is going to be really hard. Yeah. And I remember one of my guy friends saying like, oh, if, if, like this is the this is the weekend I would like. We'd all give you a pass. Like we won't tell. It'll be like if I were you, I, I would just drink this yeah. weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back now, you're like, wow, that was really unsupportive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so again, we were like, he didn't wasn't trying to be unsupportive. It right. was like we were young. He doesn't know any better. We actually talk about it now, and he's like, I can't believe I said that. Right. Yeah. But we were young, and he didn't know any better, and so um, it was a horrible weekend for me. I, you know, I like put myself in a room and I mean, it was just, it was, it was horrible. And so even that, like, you know, was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is not where I want to be. And so it was, yeah, I didn't want to go out. And, but I will say now one of my tools is I always drive mm-hmm. even eight right. years over. I oh like that is a tool I have in my toolbox is I always drive. Yeah. And now I'm very comfortable. Like, you know, even before I just got married, for four years ago, uh, I mean, I did everything a little later in life. I got sober at 33. I got married at 36. I had children at 37. And even my bachelorette party, I was like, oh, what, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> I thought about that too. Cause I just got married also a few years ago and I yeah. had four years or something. And I thought like, oh, my bachelorette party, I'm sober now. Like I had a twinge of being a little bummed out about, not really, but like a little, yeah. you know? No, it is. It's a thing. I even actually, to my husband, I was like, what if I drank on our wedding night? Like sometimes I just like yeah. almost like get a reaction to, yeah. just to see, like, let's just push the line a little yeah. bit and see what happens. And he was like, I mean, he's just so, my husband is like so grounded. He's like, yeah, no. Is he sober also? No, he's not sober. But oh. he doesn't, he's not, he's not an alcoholic. So, okay. you know, he's, he has like one or two beers a night. He's like okay. the most normal grounded person <laughs> that's pretty amazing though so you're able to sit there with him while he drinks and you're okay with that yeah i actually get that question quite often yeah um uh but he i mean there is again more tools that we have like right i always i always drive i don't go like just to be honest um like i'm not gonna go on like a houseboat party right like to me that that doesn't right like i'm sure it'd be fine but like right. certain things that i'm right. like I couldn't get off that boat. And so I'm not going to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are still certain things that I do, but um, the always driving is a good one for me just because like, if I'm not enjoying myself or if I don't, if I'm feeling uncomfortable at all, I can just leave. Yeah. Uh, but then also like my husband doesn't, he drinks really, he likes heavy beer and whiskey. Those are like, honestly, the two things I didn't like. Okay. Like, I love <laughs> so like, freaking tequila shots. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, we don't keep hard alcohol in the house. We sure. don't keep wine in the house. We sure. don't keep Bud Light in the house. And so, and every so often, was Bud if Light I'm, was that it, Bud Light was that your beer? Is that what you like? Oh yeah, I was. You could, I was like a water. Miller Light girl. <laughs> I love me some Miller Light, man. Yeah, I never was like, oh, I just want to like have a drink to enjoy it. You know, right. so, I mean, I count on like one hand the amount of times I drank where I actually like remember. You know, right, water. right. It was always like ten. So. Right. So let me ask you this: in the days leading up to 10, 11, 12, can you remember one of the last incidents leading up to that where maybe you thought, or maybe even one of your rock bottom stories in your book, but like an incident where you really felt this is out of control again? Oh yeah. There's a couple of them. And, um, this one actually is not in the book. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know this one. Um, so I used to have this little apartment downtown that I loved actually. And, um, so when my husband and I first met, we had known each other before and, but he was a seasonal firefighter. And so we had just kind of started getting together and it was, I was still drinking. And at this point I was like really, really drinking alone 
where like, you know, bottles of vodka by myself in my apartment when nobody was around and, um, two things that had happened. And this is, this is close to the end of my drinking is, um, one is I was drinking in my apartment alone. I literally drank a bottle of vodka a day. I oh mean, legit. And my friend came over in the evening and I, I didn't even, I guess she was trying to call me and I wasn't answering my phone. She was getting worried. And so she came over and I was in the bathroom and I had fallen and hit my head. Oh, wow. And like my pants were on my ankle. I must've been trying to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. And she like called her other friend and they literally scooped me up and, um, she brought me to the hospital and I remember kind of sobering up at the hospital and I remember the doctor coming in and being so pissed. Mm. Like he was so mad. Cause he was like, this is just a drunk freaking girl. And like, I got shit to do, yeah. you know, and he like threw a bunch of papers at me. He's like, get some effing help. You know, he was like, yeah, I just remember like him being so angry yeah. and the nurse is coming in and being like, you know, this is, she, I mean, she got drunk and fell like this is a problem. And so like handing me the brochures of, you know, AA or like the, the hospital or whatever. And so um, that was a really like scary, but it still didn't stop me. Right, right. And then, and then the another time, probably like a week or two later was Connor was on a fire and he had he had no idea about he knew I drank and he was like, oh, you're fun to go out with. But he had no idea like this dark side. And my, again, my, my husband is like, I, he reminds me of Captain America. He's like <laughs> as square as they come. Like, yeah. He will not make a U-turn if there's nobody <laughs> around. I'm like, make a freaking U-turn, cross the double line. He's like, no, no, can't do it. Like, he's literally complete opposite of me in that sense. And so um, he came home and I, w- it was like the middle of, a day, of the day and he walked into my apartment and there was like pizza boxes, vodka bottles everywhere. And I was passed out and he was just like, like what what the hell is this I, who is I don't this even know. person yeah wow. yeah who is this person I, he literally was like i don't even know what to say and so for him he's just like he did he never wants to see that again right so for, that was actually pretty traumatic i think for him probably to see that. yeah mm-hmm. so that's what we wanted because those are and so one of the reasons why and i think kim maybe had had mentioned this to you too so one of the reasons that stopped me from finally getting clean and sober were moments like that, that you just shared. I couldn't reconcile that I was a woman that had had moments like that. How was I ever going to be normal again? Like I had crossed some invisible line and that's just where I lived now. And I didn't think that I could ever return to regular society and like assimilate. So one of the things we try to do here is flip some of the narrative on those stories into something that were moments of growth actually. So let's like, let's, let's use the one where, where Connor walked, came, came home. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Could you pinpoint a few things that you got out of that moment that were growth related and that maybe helped you now, even if they didn't stop you that moment, but that you can hold. So it's less shameful and more like, yep, that happened. It's not great. I never want to do it again, but A, B and C came out of it. And that's not all entirely bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I honestly like we could take all of this back to me quitting drinking for someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, yeah. It, everything because the biggest lesson was there is that I didn't do it for myself. Right. And so everything got progressively worse. Okay. 
because it was always needing this. And it's the reason I did it for Steven. I needed his validation. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always needing the validation of everyone else that drove me into this dark hole of drinking by myself and spiraling. And, you know, um, the thing with any kind of addiction is you can always find somebody that's worse than you. Yeah. So for me, what kept me in it is people, one, people saying like, oh, you're not that bad. Mm -hmm. Or I'll be like, at least I'm not the homeless guy on the street. Like I have an actually very successful career. Um, I, I do have my, I have my own apartment. I got my own car. Like I'm, I'm okay. And meanwhile, I'm drinking bottles of vodka a day, but yet I can always find somebody that is worse than I am. Mm -hmm. It kept me in it. And the other thing is just like you said, the thought of when you're in such this dark place, the thought of how am I going to get out of it keeps you drinking. Right. And the thought for me of never drinking again kept me drinking. So when I would be like, how am I going to go home for Christmas and not drink? Right. How am I going to go on vacation and not drink? Even when I would try to stop and I was single, how am I going to go on a date and right. not have a glass of wine? That's ridiculous. I can't do that. And so the thought of all of those things kept me in that dark place of addiction. Right. And it truly wasn't until I sat there and I knew there was more for my life and I just could not continue to live this toxic cycle anymore. Right. Right. No, I think you make a really good point. And that's one of the things that I, and that was one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on the show in particular, because so I was a heroin addict. I was the homeless person on the street, like homeless for years, shot up heroin behind dumpsters and had been in fitness. And the last two guests we had on very similar stories, homeless heroin addicts. And so I really wanted to have you on because for one thing, I actually spent the first 10 years of my using more like your story where I was drinking too much. I was doing Coke also, but I had a car, I had a house and I would point to that. I would point to someone like me and say, no, like that person has a problem. I don't. But you identified something in your book that I think is really amazing and that I try to share with people that reach out to me because I've had people reach out to me that are listening to the show and they're like, I'm not living my best life, but I'm not you, man. I'm not shooting heroin. And like, I feel them on the fence. And I thought you actually put it really beautifully in your book. When something is a toxic anchor, you called it, and it prevents you from fulfilling your life. Anything that prevents progression in your life, I think is a problem. And I think it's important to identify that that doesn't just have to be extreme drug use. It can be drinking, or like you said, it can be disordered eating or shock. Like there are so many things that that can be that prevent you from living a fulfilled life. And I think it's really important to identify that, you know? And so often, um, you know, one of the first blogs I wrote about getting sober was, Anytime you bring up like even heroin, like heroin is like even I've, I mean, I, and I have done it all, right? right. I've done, I've, but heroin and meth, I've not done heroin and meth. And I hear heroin. I'm like, holy shit. I know, it's the right? worst like, one. Even yeah. me. Yeah. And, but people hear like, she's drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Holy. So you say these things and people's wall come up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I've never done heroin, so I can't relate. Or well, I've never drank a bottle of vodka at eight in the morning, so I can't relate. And it's like, no bullshit. Yes, you can, because you're in the pantry eating Cheetos because you're hiding from your life, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking freaking Adderall or Valium or whatever, right. and you're working out 10 hours a day trying to fit into this mold of who you're supposed to be. And it's it's all the same. Porn, pills, yeah. food, people-pleasing. I think people-pleasing is an addiction. I like it's that that you identify do, that. 
it's anything we do to numb ourselves out from facing the thing from, so we don't have to face the things that we don't want to in our lives. And it all gets us to the same finish line, which is an unfulfilled life. Mm -hmm. And so my goal in is helping women change this conversation, just like you, like heroin, alcohol, people pleasing food. It's all the same thing. We're all hiding from who we truly are. And until we want to step into that and say, I am no longer going to live this toxic cycle. I'm going to change the conversation. I'm so passionate about changing the conversation because the thing is, is if we're not changing it, we're just passing it on. Yes. Whether you have kids or not, you're passing it on to your, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your kids, your spouse, your, and unless we're changing it, we're passing it on. And here's the problem, especially as women is we want so desperately better. We want better for our children. We want better for our parents. We want better for everyone else. Yet are we willing to be better? Mm -hmm. So if I want better for my children, I've, I got to be the one to change myself mm-hmm. because kids don't do what we say. They do what we do. And so my body issues, my food issues, those came from watching somebody. Right. Those came from an environment that I grew up in. Right. And so, I mean, I, and people have mixed emotions about this. I do believe alcohol. I do believe addiction is, is part of our gene pool. I do too. I, uh, like, I just, I do too. I just like, if I drink two glasses I drink two margaritas and somebody else drinks two margaritas. Like you can physically see it on my face. Yeah. Like I just, things just, um, but again, we, it's not until we choose ourselves, like you can't even change for your children. You can't, you, it has to be for you. It's the only way it will last. It's the only way it's going to work. Right. So let me ask you this. So someone is out there listening. They identify, I'm listening to this. I know in my gut what my toxic anchor is. I'm on Adderall and I'm not supposed to be. I'm eating too much. I'm social media. When you said the people pleasing thing, I actually, that's one that I never list in my list of things, but I think that that's a great one. Like you said, especially for women, what do you suggest? You've identified the issue. What's the first thing I do next? I'm a listener. I'm listening to Jenny Schatz. What's the first thing I do next to start my process back from this cycle? So I'm sure Kim's can, Kim can, uh, chime in on this but um okay a couple things is one the day my life changed was not only hearing that and and i truly on and i'll be honest too i don't like to say i'll never drink again because i don't know right right like i so to say like i wrote down i'll never drink again i believe i i won't because i have very supportive people in my life that don't like my husband he's like i didn't marry that person and so i don't i don't want anything to do with that person right but again, who knows? So I take it literally, you know, once you become sober, you're like, you understand one day at a time. Um, but my my true changing moment was the day I admitted I was an alcoholic. Okay. The day I said out loud, I am an alcoholic. And I think we have to voice what our problem, what our toxic, I call it a toxic anchor because I believe it holds us down. And so once we voice it and we can say it, not only say it to ourselves, I could not move on until I said I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I felt like I always knew it, but I never, I was always too scared to say it. And because you're, you're so scared of everybody's reaction, you know, people are going to leave me. People are, I have stories of abandonment and people aren't going to love me. And I need, that's what I need from people is love and attention and validation. And so I was scared of losing that. And literally I wrote this in my book is when I told my business partner, we we're running up a hill and it was, I came back from this weekend I called him. It was six in the morning. I said, can we please go for a jog? We were running up a hill and I stopped and I said, it's going to make me cry. And I said, I'm an alcoholic. And he was like, finally, now we can move forward. Wow. 
And so for me to not only say it, but to have that like support and accountability, you know, just to, and I also believe that we, and this is what I take a lot of, this is what I take you through in my book. So my book is called breaking the cycle and it's every chapter is my story. And it's from like, so each chapter of my book is my story, but then at the end of each chapter, I turn it around on you. And so it's three questions that hopefully you've related to whatever that chapter was. And then you tell, you journal about your own story. So it's, yes, the book is my story, but it's actually about you doing your own work. And so it is kind of like, it is somewhat of a workbook. And so, you know, you ask like, if somebody identifies their toxic anchor, then where do you go? One, you need to voice what it is and you need to tell people. And because then you're really owning it. You're like, yes, this is a problem. I'm voicing it. And now I'm going to step forward into doing the work. And the second is I truly believe, and again, this, I take you through this in the book, but I believe that we all have a, have an incident or something that happened to us as a child. And it's either like the kid on the playground, your parents, something that happened to us that started our story that we pretty much have lived with. So very quickly, I'll just tell you mine again. I say this in the book, but so mine was when I was six years old. And when I realized this story and every time I talk about it, I'm literally, I can see myself as this people are like, well, how do you find your story? And I'm like, well, you, you, Honestly, you just got to think about your childhood. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to you, you literally, you are brought back into that situation. You can feel it. You can see it. I see myself as a six-year-old. And my dad, who was an alcoholic, was our T-ball coach. And I remember I was like in my uniform. I was so excited to go to T-ball. I had my bag. And I was like going to get to spend time with my dad. My parents were still married, but they were crazy, like not, didn't get along at all. Um, I don't ever remember them getting along, but... Anyway, my dad came home so drunk that my mom wouldn't let him take me to the game. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I created the story that I wasn't good enough for him to stay sober Mm -hmm. to take me to the game. So for my entire life, I had needed, I had, I have needed not only attention from everyone, but male attention Mm -hmm. specifically. Yeah. Because that was something I never got from my dad was I never felt like I got his respect or his love or his attention and so I constantly needed that from men and as you go through these stories and then you actually start to like do the work and go into like well what was my dad's actual story and then it blows up into this whole thing of like my dad was raised in a really horrible home and his mother was awful to him and never showed him any love any affection and I believe that to the core, my dad was a good, loving man. He just didn't know how. Yeah. And once I could like unravel all of that, I was like, holy shit, I'm living his life. Yeah. Like I took on, my dad didn't think he was good enough. My dad struggled for love from his parents. And so all he did was show me just what he knew. Mm-hmm. And now I was taking on that story. And so once I was able, honestly, my dad now has passed away, um, once I was able to give him his story back and realize like, oh my God, that's not my story to live is when everything changed for me. Yeah, that's so powerful, Jenny, because I think too, like you said, you identified that story of like, that's when I started to create this narrative. But then things all throughout your life, you were putting into that narrative of like, see, there it is again. There it is again. That idea of like, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not lovable, whatever it looks like. But we start to like, it's almost like we, and anything that doesn't fit that story, we throw it out. You're building a case. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. 
but you're building a case on somebody else's story. Yeah. This is where I'm, I talk about breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. Like probably my dad's mom was probably not raised in a great home. Like we just, we generally, we pass this down through generations because we do the best with what we know, right. but when we know better, we can do better. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I love Angela, that. Thank you. Like when you know better, do better. And so my dad just did the best he could with what he knew. And yeah, I was so, I was so angry. Like he was such a trigger for me. He would mm -hmm. call and I would binge, you know, I mean, it was, he was such a trigger for me, but it was when I was able to recognize that and realize like, Oh my God, he only did what he knew. Yeah. Yep. But I have the power to break that. Right. And like you said, giving him back his story, giving because it doesn't have to be yours. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You're building yeah. a case, but you're building a case on somebody else's story. That's so I was just doing, you know, the beyond the bike series, mm -hmm. the energize your life. Deepak Chopra just did a 21 day meditation about energizing your life. And one of the things that he said zaps you a physical ener energy on like a biochemical level is if you can identify something that you're giving energy to that isn't your value set, mm -hmm. It yeah. zaps energy from any forward motion in your life, you know, and something that if you can recognize that that wasn't my value and now I'm giving it all of this attention. I, I love that. And, you know, we were, we, when we were off, when, you know, when this was turned off, we talked about, I believe we do this as a society and I still struggle with this, like with social media, you know, people unfollowing you or people saying like, I still get that tinge of like my worthiness and like, I still want people to like me and I still, but then I have to have this conversation with myself. Like I can't want people to like me so much that it censors what I say or veers the direction and where I'm going. Right. So for me, the ultimate success is freedom, freedom from what other people think, body freedom, food freedom, that for, like money's not my success. Freedom is my success. Right. And so it's something I, cause I have these deep rooted seated issues that I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And so many women have these. And when I became sober, so many of my other issues came up mm -hmm. and I love, I heard this somewhere. I can't even remember who said it, but it said new level, new devil. Mm -hmm. So every time you level up in oh. anything, all your, all your shit comes up. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I got sober and then, my food and body issues hit me like a, a ton of bricks. Yeah. And this is the other thing that women, it's like needing to be in full makeup. It's like needing to fit into your skimpy Halloween costume. It's <laughs> needing to, so you cleanse and you don't eat and then you diet and then you do the binge cycle. And it's because we're so desperate to look a certain way based on what? On some other like story. Who, who are we so desperate to impress? Right? Because let me tell you something. We all have that picture that we can look back at and we look, we were so thin, we were so fit, we were so this, so that, so young, so wrinkle free, so all the things. And you look at that picture and you're like, oh my God, I wish I would have just realized it back then. Like back yeah. then I thought I was fat back then. And it's like, if you thought it back then, it's not getting any better. Right. Like the more weight you lose, the, the, the more Botox you have, the bigger, the, like it's not going to, it's not going to work. Yeah. Because you're still trying to live up to whose expectation. So me at like 130 pounds, which is, I believe also anything that takes you out of living your life mm -hmm. isn't worth it. So for me, dieting and body obsession took me out of living my life. Yeah. Because anytime I went anywhere, I was so obsessed with like, what's kind of food, what kind of food's going to be there? How am I going to look in this outfit? It took the joy out of everything. Yeah. And one, that's not how I want my children to grow, to grow up. And so for me, I've been, it's been 
besides getting um, sober, working on my relationship with my food and my body has been so difficult because again, it's a story I grew up in. My mom and sister, this is actually how we bonded. Monday through Friday, we dieted. Weekends on Sunday was like the best day of the week. Sunday, we would watch Lifetime movies. We would eat all the, all we called it cheat day. So you ate all your cheat foods. We'd order pizza and burgers. And I mean like crazy amounts of food. Yeah. We would binge and it was like so fun, so happy. It's how we bond. It was all the food you couldn't eat. And then on Monday, we all started the diet together. Yeah. yeah. And then I went into the fitness industry because a lot of people who are in the fitness industry, it's just your own issues coming out. Absolutely. Right. And then, but that's also like what I knew you gave restricted diets, you weighed people in and out. This is, this is what works, you know, weight loss sells. And then I would, for 20 years, I saw this, I lived it. Mm-hmm. I was always, always chasing. Like, if you're, I was always chasing a number on the scale. I was always chasing a certain size. Never once did it make me happy. And if it did, it was very, very short lived. And so it comes to like, why is our, what we look like is the least interesting thing about us. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we so obsessed to look a certain way? So what, so we can get our approval from Jill, the next door neighbor from Karen down the street. She's miserable too. Like we're all (laughs) just trying to one up each other for what reason? Yeah. Like for me, the sexiest, most fun, hottest thing you can put on is your confidence. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be so comfortable in my body that my children feel that. Yeah. That the people around are like, yes, that's it. Yeah. Not a freaking size four that's going to take me out of living my life to look that way. Mm-hmm. That to me is not life goals. Yeah. Yeah. And Jenny, I think it's, I took Jenny's class recently and I feel like you just exude it in class. You were having us count how many reps we could do. I think it was in 30 seconds or a minute, but it wasn't to see. Okay, who did the most? You know what I mean? It was, I want you to shout five the same way you'll shout 50. And like to say, like to be proud of where you're at and what your body can do is such a different message than I think a lot of us get, especially as women. Absolutely. And I we we actually restructured our whole business. I mean, this is what I used to do because this is what's used, I mean, it what's it still is what sells. Right. I'm now going against the norm. Like I am my platform is anti-diet. Yeah. My platform is helping women change the conversation on their bodies. Yeah. And um, I mean, I used to weigh people in and out every six weeks. I used to take their before and after pictures. I used to give them really restricted diets and it never made anybody happy. Yeah. And again, if it did, it was, it was for, it was very short lived because it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like living a restrict, first of all, any kind of restriction only leads to binging. Right. So yeah. You can cleanse, you can, not eat carbs for 30 days. What do you do on day 31? It's like, that is the, I wish they would teach kids in school. Any kind of restriction only leads to binging. Mm -hmm. And then here's the other thing. It's like, I get very passionate about the subject because I have, because I I live it. I lived it and I'm still living it. It's still, I'm 40 years old and I still struggle with this. But you know, so often people, especially moms come to me and they say, Oh, I just really want you to talk to my daughter. And I'm like, no, I want to talk to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn. And that's the other thing. This is, I said it before. It's like we want so much yeah. better for everyone else, but are we willing to be better? Mm-hmm. And you have to have those conversations with yourself. Like when you are going to cleanse or diet or, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm going to postpone this because I want to look a certain way and I want to fit in this. It's like you got to take a step back and say, what, why am I making these choices? Mm-hmm. What values are these really coming from? Is this for me or is this for other people? Mm-hmm. 
Jenny, how did other areas of your life start to change once you acknowledged that you're an alcoholic? Because it sounds like then body stuff came out. Like what other areas started to change? Oh my gosh, everything. Yeah, you know, the body stuff and just really, I mean, whenever you're living with your toxic anchor, you're not living authentically. Because whatever it is, again, heroin, alcohol, people-pleasing, food, porn, pills, you're, we do those things to numb ourselves out mm -hmm. because we're afraid of our authentic self. Like I always knew so I was meant for more, but I was almost scared of that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like food. It's why women, I'm just gonna be honest. It's why women always want to talk about food. Like, Oh, I can't even keep chips in the house. I can't even have ice cream in the house. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's easier for you to talk about you binging on chips than the fact that you need a divorce. Mm. Like we would rather talk about food and body than what's really actually going on. Like food is never the issue. Everybody thinks it is. It is, you are not addicted to sugar. You are not addicted to food. It's not about, it's not about the food. It's about your relationship with food, yeah. but it really comes down to, it's your relationship with yourself. Like what is your body story? You know, my body story is I was always told I was, my dad used to say, you're built like a linebacker. Oh my God. So like I never wore, wore tube tops because I thought I had big shoulders. My thunder thighs, like I was, you know, you're built like a, you're built like a boy. You're, oh, Jenny's, you know. And so my body story was that I was built bigger. Yeah. I'm not freaking built bigger. I'm beautiful. <laughs> I'm super fit. I'm hot as hell. Like I'm not <laughs> built bigger. I'm built exactly the way I am. But for so long, my body story, and I really believe once we unravel our body story, again, it's like becoming sober, It's it unravels everything else. Like for women, a lot of our stories are surrounded by our body story. Wow. That's really like, that's uh, Kim's looking at me because I'm not usually quiet for this long <laughs> because I'm, you know, just like taking all of this in. And, and, and I think the next, the next step there is no, once you know that story, I think, do you think that you can then cognitively be aware of the choices that you're making that are supporting the story versus choices that you could make? So like, for example, we were talking about the Halloween costume, whatever, whether or not, you know, I was going to do some things this week to make sure I fit into it. So like, if I can be cognitively aware of where that story is coming from, because I do know where my thing comes from, can I yeah. then tell myself, okay, Janine, this is not legitimate. This is about something that happened a really long time ago and you don't want to be out of your life this week. I mean, do you think that that's the next actionable step to take once you know your story, then you can walk yourself through that on an intellectual level to make different choices? Absolutely. It's a, you just put it so beautifully. Another tip I always give that I pretty much give in every podcast, and I didn't come up with this. Like Everybody's got different things. Like I've heard some people do like a rubber the, band. Yeah. Or, I mean, people have all... I didn't come up with this, but it's something that I use. Another tool in my toolbox is so I've named that voice in my head. So whenever that voice, because I still hear it all the time, like, oh, you know, maybe you I mean, truly it's still like maybe you should cleanse. Maybe you shouldn't eat that for and or, you know, you do, maybe you are you are looking a little big. Maybe you should lose weight. And then I stop. And again, it's just exactly what you said to have that. I, I constantly have to be changing the conversation in my own head. Right. So I give that voice a name and I stop and I'm like, oh yeah, not today, Tiffany. <laughs> I was going to ask you what the name is. It's Tiffany? <laughs> yeah, well, it's Tiffany or Terry or, okay. or whoever. I just like the tease, like, not today, Terry, okay? And so 
I, but truly, it's exactly what you said. I stop and I'm like, oh, there she is. And for me, Carrie or Tiffany, let's just we call her Tiffany. Tiffany is somebody that I that I don't want to be. Yeah. I don't. I used to be that person. I used yeah. to live that way, and I don't. That's not who I want to be. And so I get to make that choice once because I believe people are always like, how do you do? How do you? Awareness is how we change. Awareness. Number one. Yeah. Once you're aware of something. You have two choices. You can either keep going down that path mm-hmm. or you make a conscious choice to change it. And so when I'm aware of that voice of like, oh, Tiffany's back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, not today, Tiffany. I'm not going to listen to that. I am going to put this dress on and I'm going to walk out that door. Wow. I'm going to stop judging myself. I'm going to stop thinking, what is Karen going to think in that she's going to see my belly? Fuck Karen. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's huge because you're not saying I'm trying to get rid of that voice. I'm going to get rid of that voice for good. It's I'm going to be aware of it. I'm going to address it and I'm going to move on with a kind of more awareness and how to not give into it essentially. And the stronger your healthy, your, your authentic self gets Mm -hmm. the quieter Tiffany gets. Yeah. She doesn't go away. I mean, I've lived with this for, you know, I'm 40. I mean, you know, there's a couple of years that things are really great, but for most of my life, yeah, it doesn't go away, but the louder your healthy self gets, the quieter the negative one gets. Yeah, I love that. So, so often we listen to the negative. So of course it's going to get louder than that, you know, than your healthy self. So giving your, giving that voice a name creates awareness of like, oh, I have a choice. I could be Tiffany and go down this miserable right route. But you know what? I lived that for a really long time and it actually didn't serve me. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest thing too is especially with kids i have three-year-old twins now and again it doesn't matter one of my actually pivotal life changes again with the food and body stuff was when my i'm very close to my niece my sister is 10 years older than i am and when my niece was 16 it came out the way i grew up was if you weren't anorexic or bulimic you didn't have an eating disorder that was the only option for an eating disorder Mm -hmm. so disordered eating wasn't a thing Mm -hmm. and i want everyone to know right now the diet binge cycle is an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And so our family was constantly in the eating disorder, disordered eating, diet binge cycle. And so right around the time I got married, my niece, I found out my niece had an eating disorder and hers was anorexia and bulimia. And she's so thin. And she, I mean, it was all the things. And so for me, and this was before I had kids and it was right around the time I got married. Once I found that out, I realized I had a part in that. Yeah. And so for me, it was my aha moment that, holy shit, I had a part in her body dysmorphia, her anorexia, her bulimia. I need to change myself. Yeah. And this is the other thing, too. This is just kind of a sidebar on the whole diet, bo- diet um, body image. It's exhausting for the people around us. Yeah. Your husbands, your wives, your roommates – to be on a diet binge cycle is so emotionally exhausting because like, I remember my husband when we first met, he was like, you got some serious issues around food. Again, he's like this grounded, normal person. He'd like to sit down and eat meals. I only eat like out of the fridge snacks over the sink, like just grabbing what I could. And then like, I was the happiest when we were binging and I'd be like, let's go get a pizza and, and fries and sodas and this. And he'd be like, He's like, yeah, okay. And then and, and <laughs> cool. I'd be so happy. And then, the, and then I'm juicing for three days yeah. and I'm crabby because I'm so depleted. And I, him and Steven, my business partner, were like, this is, this is exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting to be around. 
it's and like for again for what like what am i chasing yeah other people's approval yeah. ultimately it's the only reason we need to be in full hair and makeup it's the only reason that we need to be a certain size other than the size that makes us feel our best yeah like you want to i don't i don't think anybody should have a scale in their house and i will say that until i freaking am in the grave and i say this in every podcast we would never ever in a million years put a child on a scale yeah. first thing in the morning and say, okay, depending on this number is going to tell me if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if society's going to value you. So get on that scale and let's see what kind of day you're going to have. Yeah. Or how you're going to feel today. Or how you're going to feel today. Cause if that number's high, you're going to have a bad day. If that number's, and that's how I use, and I can say that because that's how I used to start every day. Right. I'd get on the scale. If it was heavy, I'd put a sweatshirt on and I'd go to the gym and I'd try to sweat it out and right. I wouldn't eat all day. Right. And, but again, we would never do this to other people. And right. then we, and then it's like, okay for us to have these scales in our bathroom and to do it for ourselves. Like I have not on a scale in years and I know when I'm out of alignment, when I don't feel comfortable on my body, Yeah, it's not like, and my, it's not like, Oh, I need to lose weight. It's like, Oh yeah, you're living out of alignment. That's, that's why you're overeating. That's why you don't feel good. Right. And I, I love what and you so said earlier. Conversation can change like that. Yeah. I think when our actions change. Right. And I want to circle back to something you said earlier too. You said, so like the voice of Tiffany gets quieter when your healthier voice gets stronger. And I think there in that lies another actionable way to change, which is to feed the healthier side of you mm -hmm. to feed the healthier choices. Like I'm constantly listening to shows like this one that we're, we're having right now. You know, I'm constantly trying to listen to podcasts that like uplift me or work out in a healthier way and like make better choices. I love that you said that. Cause I think right there lies another way to move, you know, like an actionable way to change the story right. is to feed that healthier side and identify what makes that healthier side stronger, mm -hmm. you know? And just, again, you have to unravel your body story because right. nobody thinks that but you. Right. And that just, you, you got to do some work around your body story. Right, right. Because, and your self-worth story. Because your worth as an instructor actually is not in how you look. It's the energy that you put out and it's the person that you are. That It's why Kim loves you so much. It's why your whole studio, it's why you're the owner. Yeah. And, but you're, you've got to unravel your body story. Yeah. I, I, I literally had the exact same story. Okay. Like, oh God, I remember like doing photo shoots, cleansing wow. for fucking five days because I would be like, I'm a fitness person. I, people are not going to think I look good. Like I'm in good enough shape to be a fitness person. Yeah. I was like in the most amazing shape. But again, if, if I didn't appreciate it, then you're never going to appreciate it. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. You could be in the best, you could lose another 10 pounds and be as fit as Gina or Debbie or whoever you just said. It's not enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're, it's, it's your deep rooted story of that. You got to undo your body story. It yeah. starts with your body story. Yeah. So Jenny looking for helpful, actionable tips for someone that's newly in sobriety recovery, you know, 20, yeah. 30, 45 days clean and sober. What are your thoughts on that? Um, oh, first of all, anybody listening to that, good for you. Um, it's funny. It goes in phases, right? Like you get, I feel like you, I remember when I used to like quit and start and quit and start, you get to like three weeks and you feel invincible. You're like, I totally got this. And yeah. it's usually like when you want to start drinking again, because you think like, <laughs> I don't have a problem. I feel amazing. I can have one drink. And then um, I will say the first year for me, I can't say this for everybody. The first year for me was the most difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's truly because when you 
get sober, you get clear and you can't, you can no longer hide from your, you can't numb out from your problems. Mm. And so you start to really see not only yourself, but the people in your life and all your situations as they really are. And so, um, I would say the biggest thing is you have to find your group that will support you and you have to cut out those people. Like there's a lot of friends I did not see for years until I was confident enough to step back in. And then I could be like, Oh yeah, you're still not my people or like, Oh yeah, we've grown. Okay. So now we can, I, you cannot have toxic people that tell you you don't have a problem. Yeah. I love that. That's a good one. So it's got like, if AA is your thing, I'm a huge component of therapy. I think if, Oh my gosh, if everybody, if therapy was mandatory in the world, we would live in a lovely, lovely world. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> mandatory. It should, I mean, I'm like the biggest component of therapy, but you have to surround yourself with people that, that want you to get better. Yeah. And I will say the people who don't want you to get better are scared of your change mm-hmm. because they like you where you are. And so those people definitely need to go. Okay. That's a great if Somebody's one. not wanting you to grow. They should not be in your circle. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Right. And I think it's also, well, shoot, if she thinks that's a problem, do I have a problem? And that's just too scary to look at sometimes. That is a, and I can say that for a fact because I used to be that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we went out and somebody wasn't drinking, I was like, you're so lame. Me too. Just, come on, have fun. Have I was a drink. so annoyed. Oh my God, why wouldn't you drink? Because if they're not drinking, I had to look at myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first boyfriend, and, I had a, a boyfriend that I lived with in LA. We're still good friends. I adore him. We were together for years and he, he uh, was a much heavier drinker than I was at the time. He, we were actually both sober now. He's about a year behind me, but I remember yelling at him that he needed to quit drinking Mm -hmm. and we would go to dinner and, but he paid for everything and Mm -hmm. I needed him to like order a bottle of wine. And so I would like change as soon as we got there, I'd be like, it's actually probably fine. Like I'll keep an eye on you. And it was so selfish because I wanted to drink. And so I would like yell at him for drinking and then totally, it's just so selfish. It's just, I call it, I, and I actually, I talk about this in the book. I call it adult peer pressure and it's the exact same thing. I used to do it to other people because I, again, was insecure and didn't want to look at my own things. And if they weren't drinking, what does that say about me? Right. And then once I started, you know, stopped drinking. And then when I was aware of other people doing it to me, I was like, oh yeah, that's what this is about. It's actually, so I always say this too, um, you not drinking has nothing to do with anybody else's night. Yeah. So if somebody's like, oh, why aren't you drinking? It's like, why does me not drinking have anything to do with the amount of fun you're going to have tonight? Mm-hmm. Wow. And when you stop and like really unravel that, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, that's actually so true. Yeah. So anyone who's pressure you into, and we're grown ass adults. We should be able to say no with a period. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not I drinking. It's that. none of your freaking business. But in the long run, it's like if somebody's gonna adult peer pressure, somebody's going to try to pressure you into something it has everything to do with them and actually nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And the other thing we always ask our, our guests, and this is going to be so easy for you. This is an obvious one. Uh, do you work out of which we know the answer to that is yes. But what would you say fitness? What is the part fitness plays in your recovery? Oh, that's a great question. And we've decided we are going to do a part two where yes. I'm really going to break down my, uh, 
food and body and workout. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Even if only every- one listener is that, that podcast of which of that listener is me, we're hosting that, that episode. So yeah. you'll have at least two yeah. listeners. I, I, yeah. I will rock your world with that one. Okay, you guys are going to be like, uh, uh-uh. so, but in, in the form of recoveries, I have a couple stages through this too. In the beginning, I will be honest, my, ne- my next addiction became my work and working right. out. And like, it filled this void for me. And so I had to get through all that. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, ugh. <laughs> the, the work is always ongoing. Right. That's, it's also the annoying part. I'm sure Kim Kim as a therapist, you know, she knows this. You're like, oh my God, yeah. I'm freaking sober. I've been through so much therapy. Like this stuff is still coming up. And it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and so um, the working out has 100% changed for me. Like I used to be super, I mean, even my our program was like, I love I like everything high intensity. So I, I mean, I love loud music. I love moving fast. I like different. And I used to work out that way. And now it's like, I'm 40 years old. I'm the mother of twins. I don't move the way I used to. I don't have the time that I used to. I, I don't live at the gym anymore. I don't have an hour. And unfortunately for so many of us, again, we'll talk about this in part two, but you know, we believe that like, if we didn't get 45 minutes in, if we didn't run X amount of miles, if we didn't burn X amount of calories, then we just like throw in the towel and we're like, well, missed my class. I'm just screw it. I'm going to go eat my face off and then I'll get back on it tomorrow where it's like, if you have 10 minutes is better than no minutes, go walk around the block, go walk a mile, go jog. So on my Instagram, I do every Monday It's called five minute movement. And so for me, I believe I don't even call it working out anymore. I'm just like, Oh yeah, I have to move because for me, the moment I found joy in working out is when I stopped using it as a weight loss tool. Right. And you would so for me, it's movement. Movement is therapy. Like for me, if I'm if I need to like write a a speech or a blog or get my mind right, I go and move because for me, movement changes energy, attitude, mood. It changes everything. And so right. five, it's like if I'm stuck, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna move for five minutes, and it's gonna shift my energy. So I really try to get the conversation around movement is right. any movement is good movement. Right. You don't always have to go for an hour. You don't always have to, you, again, you can't, it's like dieting. You can't maintain that. Right. Right. And so I, the biggest thing I can say around movement is when you stop using movement as a weight loss tool is when you find joy in it and stop. And again, now I'm, I'm using all my good stuff for the next one. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So, you know, it's just, it's changing the conversation around. So now I move because it feels good. Some days it's five minutes. Some days it's an hour. Some right. days it's 20 minutes. It's, you know, I, I fit it in where I can. I get my kids involved. I go to the gym when I can. And if I can't, no big deal. What can I do with what I have today? Right. Awesome. So speaking of your Instagram, where can everybody find you? Plug all your stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, you can buy my book on Amazon. Uh, so please go. It's called Breaking the Cycle by Jenny Schatzel. Please go um, buy the book. I'm very proud of it. It's a very, and this is not a negative th- negative thing at all. Um, I love that somebody wrote me and said, do you realize how much confidence you've given people who haven't read a book in a long time? Because my book is really easy to read. It's it is fact. easy to read. Agreed. People read it in like two hours. It's super, it's meant, it's written that way though. Cause I don't sit down and read huge books. And so it's a really fast read. It's a lot about doing your own work. I kept it really real and raw and authentic. It, it literally reads the way I speak. And so, um, I would love for everybody to buy my book. And then also I do most of my work on Instagram and I do have some Facebook groups. I have a Facebook group for the book. It's called breaking the cycle with Jane Schatzel. Um, every Tuesday I do a truth talk Tuesday video. It's super fun. 
but a lot of my work is on Instagram. Okay. And so Mondays we do five minute movement. I do tree talk Tuesday. So find me on Instagram, just under Jenny Schatzel. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here. That was amazing. We will definitely follow up and do a part two where we get into the diet cycle and, and movement. And I just, I appreciate your time so much. This has been like absolutely amazing. Yes. Thank you so uh, much, love, Jenny. I love both of you. This is so fun. I can't wait for part two. And awesome. Thank you to all the listeners. Okay. Thank you guys so much. All right, guys, Jenny Schatzel, like she said, her Instagram is probably the best way to find her and take full advantage of everything that she has to offer, which is at Jenny Schatzel, S-C-H-A-T-Z-L-E. I will also link her in the show notes or in the, in the podcast description notes. And Instagram is the best way to connect with us. Me, Janine Coulter, at Janine Coulter, my fitness studio in San Diego, if you're in the area and would like to check it out or would like to check out one of our on-demand classes, that is at Studio Cybrid, C-Y-B-R-I-D. And then the podcast has its own Instagram, which is at Chasing Heroin, heroin with an E, like Chasing Female Hero. And the website, ChasingHeroin.com, also has has free 12-step yoga if you're interested. So thank you guys again so much for joining us. Any questions, you can DM any one of those Instagrams or submit a form through the Chasing Heroin website. Thank you guys so much.